Good morning. Our second reading this morning is from Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 12, verses 9 through 21. Let love be genuine. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with mutual affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lag in zeal. Be ardent in the spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in suffering. Persevere in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Extend hospitality to strangers. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Do not claim to be wiser than you are. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. If it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. No, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. For by doing this, you will heap burning coals on their heads. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Good and gracious God, God who is all that is, God who is within us when we are joyful, God who is within us when we are suffering, God who is within and among us when we are quarreling, God who is within and among us when we are getting along. God who is all that is, remind us that you are all that is. Remind us of your presence within us, here, now, always. Now may you put into my mouth the words you would have me speak, and take from my mouth those you would not. Amen. I want to take these two texts this morning and kind of hold them in conversation. And I want to start actually with the Matthew text. Uh, But I feel like I want to share this story first about my experience with the book of Romans. And then I want to go to the Matthew. And I'm kind of trusting the spirit on that because I was going to just start with Matthew. But I want to share this story about this time in 2006 when I went looking This was the last time I went looking to scripture for my condemnation. And I'd just been given a new Bible by my now ex-spouse. We just started dating and they had just started seminary and they sent me a new Bible. Now I had many Bibles at this point. I went to Baylor, I grew up Presbyterian, a lot of time in Baptist spaces. I had several Bibles at this time. And yet there was something about this new thin line Bible that when I was looking through it, I realized I didn't actually know what the Bible said 
about LGBT people. Now, it's funny because I'd been to Baylor. I'd spent as much time in spaces as I had, but I didn't actually know the scripture text for what was really said in the Bible about, I would say, people who love people of the same gender at that point. I would have said gay or lesbian people. I was like, I don't even know where it is, but I know it's somewhere in Romans. So I knew at that point in my own journey that I was going to hell for being LGBT. Spoiler alert, I'm not. No one is, but just one. But I didn't even know where it said, right? So I had this underlying sense of suffering that was almost passive. I was like, well, I'm just going to check it out, right? It wasn't even like, ooh, I need to know. It's funny that I didn't know again at this point. So I was like, well, I know it's somewhere in Romans. Like, I know somewhere in Romans. And so I went... And I was flipping through, and I did probably similar to what you had said, and I flipped in half, and I went to the New Testament, flipping through, flipped through Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, going through, Acts, and then I keep going, I hit Corinthians, and I'm like, flip backwards, forwards, backwards, what's going on? Turns out I had a misprinted Bible. It was missing half of Acts and all of Romans. So I closed that Bible, and I put it aside. And I decided that I was never again going to look to Scripture for my condemnation. It's the message I needed to hear. Because it's interesting because now sitting here, however many years later, nearly 20 years later, 17 years later, I will say fully that I love the book of Romans. I love Romans 1. I absolutely do. And we'll preach a sermon sometime on that. But that's not what we're doing today. But I love that moment where in the midst of like, I didn't even know at the time, as I look back, I want to give myself a hug. And I want to say to that part of me that was so casually looking to scripture, to these books, for a place to convince myself that I was unworthy of love, unworthy of being seen and held by God. And that in that moment, God was like, no, not today not any day. That was before I started seminary. That was before I even knew I was going to seminary. But that moment was such a beautiful point of affirmation for me that I have continued to go back to it time and again to remember this is not a book of condemnation. This is not a collection of books of condemnation. These are books that tell the story of people trying to understand their experience of the divine and where the divine breaks in and shows them the beauty and the abundant love that is all that is. I want to go back now to that passage in Matthew, and I want to go back to what Jesus talks about there when he talks about suffering and when he talks about picking up your cross. Because I realize actually now, as I'm saying this, part of the reason that I was so casual about my own condemnation, my perceived condemnation at that point, was that I thought that was part of the cross that I had to carry. I think in many ways, many of us who have grown up in the church have been told at different points, that's just your cross you need to carry. That's just the thorn in your side. That's just this thing that is too heavy or too painful for you to bear that we are saying that you need to bear anyway. I want to back up and I want to say that that is not what this passage is about. This passage is not a glorification of suffering. 
It is a recognition of the necessity of suffering, of the reality of suffering, of the fact that there are things in life which are painful, which are difficult. There are things in life which seem so unbearable, so God-forsaken that we cannot understand how they have a place in the life of the holiness and of the goodness that we know God to be. What did Jesus say on the cross? But why, why, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This passage here is saying that even in those spaces that seem the most God-forsaken, God is there. God is moving. God is alive. God is abundant. Sometimes we have to go through these painful circumstances that have these impacts on our bodies, on our physical bodies in such a way so that the spirit that is who we truly are can be born. We could not have gotten through when Jesus talks about suffering, when he talks about this is the necessity, you have to understand that in order for this to be known, in order for this to be understood, this is part of it. It is necessary that I suffer It is necessary that my body suffers because my spirit then will live. It is necessary to move through the cross. It is necessary to move through the suffering that happens there so that we know that there is no place that God is not. I want to say that in the affirmative so that we know that God is everywhere. We miss that because we get so caught up in the body. We get so caught up in these bodies, and yet I don't want to minimize the body. But I want to start with the spirit. Friends, we are spirit. Right now, we are sitting in this room, in this sanctuary, this collection of souls, in this body, in this place, in this time, on this planet, on this spinning ball in the middle of infinite space. And yet, truly, we are also here these energetic souls having this collective experience together as one part of the holiness that is God. When Jesus talks about understanding the difference between the body and the spirit, it is understanding that we are spirit having these incarnational experiences. At the end, when he says, truly, some of you who are standing here today will not die before you see the return of the the kingdom, king coming of the kingdom of God. Did I get that close enough to be able? I stick with that and I'm like, what does that actually mean? Because everybody died, right? Everybody's body died. So what does he mean? What does he mean? Is he telling, what does he mean? I think that's a really beautiful way of saying we are all spirit, this spirit, these manifestations, your soul, you're going to be back in a body again. Which means that maybe some of us were there with him in those conversations, and we're here again now. But when he talks about the suffering, when he talks about the necessity, what I want to hold is that so often when we say, pick up your cross, what happens with that is then we actually minimize our suffering. Jesus did this for you. Stop complaining. Anybody ever hear that? Quit your grumbling. I know this is really difficult, but maybe this is just your cross to bear. 
You don't need to complain about suffering. Jesus suffered worse than you. I am going to tell you that there are some people who in their bodies actually suffered more than Jesus suffered on that cross. But what happens is that we, we end with the suffering. We actually dismiss it. We actually wipe it away. We have a tendency to then ignore our own suffering, to say, I'm not worthy of this because I have clothes on my back, my body's taken care of, why do I need to worry about that? And yet what happens then is that we negate our suffering, then we resent our suffering, and then we end up turning that suffering out on other people. And I don't even mean what it's necessarily like cross-level suffering. There are times when rock bottom knocks us completely out on our feet and we have no choice but to see the abundance of God everywhere. Thank God for those moments when we realize that we have seen the absolute bottom and then we realize, oh wait, no, there's, almost, there's so much more. But there's something beautiful about those moments because they teach us that all we've got is God and often one another, hopefully. But I'm talking about those lighter level events, those level events that we tend to leave or to ignore or to push aside, the minor suffering, the minor ways that we've been taught to ignore what's difficult or heavy or hard, so we push it aside. So then we don't know how to deal with discomfort. We don't know how to deal with transition. We don't know how to deal with change. How do you deal with change? I don't. I don't. I'm a Taurus. I don't. Change is hard. It's uncomfortable because it brings up all of these anxieties. It brings up this fear that we're not gonna actually be held, that we're not gonna be taken care of. It brings up this stress that God is not gonna provide for us, despite the fact that God has provided for us all already. The fact that we are still here, we, are, we have made it through. You have made it through 100% of your worst days. Your body has made it through 100% of your worst days. That's nice to hear, isn't it? because I've made it through some pretty rough days. I've made it through some pretty beautiful days too. So then when we get Paul, I want to come into Romans, and we get into Paul's conversation with the church in Rome, the issue is that they hadn't been getting along. I would like to think that they hadn't actually been acknowledging all of the things that they were moving through. And what had happened is that they then started creating a certain amount of tension with one another. Tension! They're not getting along. They are not getting along. They're stressed. They're anxious. They're going through this. They are Jews and Gentiles trying to learn together. Paul doesn't know them. They're an established church. They're working their way through. They're trying to figure out how to be who they are in the midst of a lot of uncertainty and change, and I would say struggling and even suffering. So friends, this is actually where I want to bring this back around to us specifically and to this congregation specifically. So as we talk about Matthew, we're talking about this specific interactions. Jesus is saying this big level interactions honor the suffering and the struggling that you have right here. In Romans, we get to deal with a congregation that's in the midst of a lot of change that's also struggling on sort of a meta level, on a group level. And he's saying, this is how you live together. Care for one another. Love one another. Honor one another. Here's a heads up. You don't have to repeat these things, one another, over and over so much, if people have already been doing that. This is a helpful reminder. Paul is saying this again and again and again because they'd forgotten one another. He's saying, remember one another. But it's stressful. It's hard. It's scary. We're going through change. We don't know what we're doing. We're grabbing each of us individually. We don't realize that we are all here collectively having this experience with one another. 
which means together. This congregation is going through the midst of, or is in the midst of a lot of change. The interim period is scary. The presbytery is going through a lot of change. The interim change period, this new position, is scary. The denomination itself is actually going through a lot of change. In the midst of this transition, it can be really scary. The nation is going through a lot of change. Do you see I keep getting bigger? There is so much change here, y'all. Each of us individually is experiencing these changes. Us collectively are experiencing these changes. Pushbacks come. Bends in the road come. Changes come. Distractions come. That's part of it. That's part of it. It's scary. It's uncertain. We feel so often like we are falling through this air of nothingness with no parachute. Anybody else have that feeling lately? I am falling through the air. I have no clue what's going on. I have no parachute. All of these tools, all of these resources, all of these things that I thought could hold me together, could teach me how to live in the world, they're not working. They're not working. We are falling through the air. But here's the thing I keep thinking about, is that what if there is no ground? What if there is no ground? What if this period of us free-falling, trying to figure it out, is actually us learning how to fly together, how to be spirit together in these bodies, because these bodies are essential. Because here's the thing, these bodies are our incarnations of the divine here. Your body is the only way you're going to do it. The only way you can live into all you have been created to be is to live into it in this body. The only way this church can be all of we have been created to be, and I don't even mean just this congregation, but this collective church, the only way we can live into all we have been created to be is to do it as one body, not one institution. The church is not this institution. It is not this building. It is not this sanctuary. It is us. It is us in spirit, the living, breathing incarnations of the divine. We are here together. So honor your suffering. Honor it. Honor when things feel heavy. Honor when things feel overwhelming. Honor that and see that even in that, God too is present. In the worst, the hardest, the most painful, the most God-forsaken places are not. Even there, God is with you. God is with us. Always. Amen.